0: Good morning, Redemption Hill Church. I'm John Chasteen, and I'm bringing the word today from one of our partner churches, Cross Point Church in Clemson, South Carolina. Many of you guys have heard about them in the past um, as they have sent a ton of support our way, um, from prayers to people to financial support. And so really grateful that they are allowing me to record uh, my sermon today here. Well, uh, along with Tanner and Steve, I have a heavy heart. As I bring God's word to you today, as I reflect on the tragic and unjust murder of George Floyd and the racism that is still existing in our country against black people today, I come to you with a heavy soul. And I want you to know this. I will never fully know what it's like to walk in your shoes. But I want to know more than I do now. And so I've been praying what I challenged you guys with when I preached a few weeks ago. I've been praying this. Father, help me to care about the hurts and brokenness of others. Give me sympathy. I want to weep with those who weep. Give me a tender and compassionate heart. I'm praying that God would work in me during this season even as I bring God's word to you today. And I've been reflecting, like, how does First Peter help us to think and respond about all that's going on in the world right now? And so I think of some of the verses that we've already um, heard over the past number of, m- of months. I-, I think of First Peter 2, verse 12, that says, Keep your conduct among, among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Our lives are to be windows for people to see the glory of God. Father, right now, would you help us to live in such a way that the way we respond to this injustice and racism shows to the world that you care, that you are a God of justice. I think of the words um, in chapter 2, verse 17, that say, honor everyone. Honor everyone. Yes, everyone. I think of the words in 1 Peter 3, 9, where Peter says, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. I think of the words later on where he quotes Psalm 34, and he says, let him turn away from evil and do good. Now is a time as always, for us to be about doing good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. He continues, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. God hears our prayers. As Tanner and Steve cried out in prayer, as collectively as a church, as we're crying out, God hears our prayers. And yet it also says this, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. God sees and cares about every act of racism and injustice. It all matters to him. And so as we come to 1 Peter chapter 4 this week, Peter reminds us that the clock is ticking for all of us and how we live our lives. And it's a call to spend the rest of our lives, whatever's remaining, chasing after the will of God. And so as we turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, let's begin in verse 1, the Word of God says this Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you, but they will give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead that though judged in the flesh the way people are they might live in the spirit the way God does the main point that i want you to see today is this is that we're to leverage what's left in your life running after god's will leverage what's left in your life running after god's will if we're going to maximize our lives and the clock is ticking Peter says four things are essential. And the first one is this, we must resolve to suffer like Jesus. Look at verse one with me. Again, Peter uses the suffering of Jesus as a model and example for his followers. He says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. Last week, we saw how Jesus' suffering was the pathway to victory. It's what brought us near to God. And this week, what we're going to see is that suffering is the pathway of victory for believers. How is that? He says this, as you look to Jesus, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. This means resolving to have the same attitude and intention to suffer just like Jesus. Think about it. When you resolve to do something, you commit yourself fully to it. And he says, when we do this, here's what he says. He says, whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. The reason we're to take this mindset, the reason we're to have this resolve is that the results, he says here, is that it leads to ceasing from sin. But what does he mean here? What, what does it mean to cease from sin, well, let me first start with what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we reach some kind of sinless perfection. You see, we will struggle with sin until the day that we meet Jesus, even as we should be striving to turn from sin and run after God's will. And so what then does it mean if it doesn't mean sinless perfection? Well, let me give you two options. One option is that Peter's arguing similarly to the way Paul does in Romans chapter 6. If we were to take it this way, suffering would refer to dying through union with Jesus, and to cease from sin means to be dead to the power of sin. But I think a second option is more likely, and it would be this. When we resolve to suffer, as the ESV study Bible says, the nerve center of sin is severed in our lives. In other words, when we commit to suffer, to endure scorn and mockery, we give evidence that we're done with a life of sin. We've broken with a life characterized by sin in order to seek after and follow God's will. I mean, think about it. How many of our sinful choices flow from a desire to avoid the ridicule and shame of others rather than to face suffering? to please others rather than to please God. But when we resolve to suffer, when we say it doesn't matter what other people think of me, we're ready to seek after the kingdom of God. We're ready to seek after what's right in his eyes. So the the first essential truth is that we must resolve to suffer like Jesus. The second thing we must do to leverage what's left is we must repent and turn from our former ways. We see this here in verses two and three. Here, Peter further explains what it means to have ceased from sin. He says this. He says, so as to live the rest of the time um, in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. In short, in other words, to cease from sin, it means that whatever amount of time we have left, and, and see the focus here on time. He says, as to live the rest of the time, and look down at verse 3, for the time that is past suffices. In other words, you've already, we've already wasted enough time running after the way the Gentiles do, chasing our own human passions. He's like, whatever time is left, use it, leverage it to run after the will of God. We should be zealous to do what God wants to do, wants us to do in our lives. And, and what's not explicit here that I want us to, to think about for a second is what Peter's contrasting God's will to. You see, he, he's contrasting God's will in verse 2 to human passions. And we're going to come back to a, in a, that in a second. But in verse 3, he's contrasting God's will to the will of the Gentiles. And so it says if you've got these two opposites here, you've got the will of God and you've got the will of the world. And that you've got a choice to make in what you are going to run after. Let me ask you this question. What is the problem with human passions? Here's the problem. Our passions and desires can deceive us, Ephesians 4.22. In Galatians, Paul says, the desires of the flesh are opposed to the Spirit. Previously, Peter in 1 Peter 2.11 says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners in exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. It says so we hear these words related to understanding our passions and our desires. We should be suspect of our own desires. Yet as we continue to grow in Christ, as the word of God renews our minds, increasingly God is also going to produce godly desires in us. But we should always be on suspect that we should we trust them, should we follow them. And so then what Peter gives here is he gives a list of the will of the Gentiles and what these human passions lead to. This is a list similar to what we see in other parts of the New Testament. And basically what he does here is he combines sexual sin along with drinking and parties, a practice common in our world today as well. Look at verse 3. He says, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, the will of the Gentiles, living in sensuality and passions. These two words here combined refer to sexual sin. Let me just pause here for a second. God created sex to be a beautiful and wonderful thing within marriage. But we live in a culture that assumes sex is the norm in basically all relationships. Pornography is the norm. Let me plead with you, don't buy into the lie of these deceitful desires. They are promising satisfaction, but they don't satisfy. God knows what is best and what is most satisfying. The same love that motivated God to send Jesus to die for our sins is the same love that motivates him and guides him when he gives us his commands. And so we need to hear the commands to pursue purity and holiness as commands from a loving God who's caring for us and pointing us into the pathway of life. Don't bind to the lie but we see this combination here additionally, uh, not just sexual sin, but you see these words drunkenness, orgies, and drinking parties. You know, I think of the words of Paul in Ephesians who says, do not get drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. You see, the issue here is about a life that is filled with the Spirit of God, a life that is running after what God wants. And when we're, when we're consuming alcohol to the point of drunkenness, that is leading us to be out of control. It's not leading us to make wise decisions and seeking after God's will. And then he uses this term here. He says, lawless idolatry. It's a phrase that highlights an unholy and profane lifestyle. So there are some things, and I don't know what it is in your life. That as as we resolve to suffer like Jesus, as we say, man, I'm gonna run after God's will, there's some things that we've gotta repent repent of that we've gotta turn from if we're gonna run after God. But, But hear this. Yes, let's repent and turn, but let's let our lives be characterized by doing the will of God. Let's be characterized primarily not by what we don't do, but what we do. Isaiah's words have been resonating with me This week, Isaiah in chapter 1, verse 16 says this Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. These are things that we should be doing. You hear these words? Do good, seek justice, correct oppression. Those are activities, those are things that we should be spending our life doing. I love the, the prophetic words um, from one professor, Nathan Finn, who said this this past week. Followers of Jesus Christ should not just not be racist, but should be anti-racist. Being anti-racist means to not only um, embrace a non-racist posture in your personal life, but it means speaking out and seeking change where there are communal and structural forms of racism. It is to correct oppression. It is to seek justice. Similarly, our very own superintendent of Medford High, Dr. Maurice Edward Vincent, ended her letter the other day quoting Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. saying this. He said, the ultimate tragedy is not the oppression and cruelty by the bad people, but the silence over that by the good people. We must speak up. May our lives be characterized by doing good, seeking justice. Father, we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The third thing we must do to leverage what's left is this. We must resist returning to our former ways. Look here at verses 4 and 5. Peter writes, With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. You see, when you choose to run after God's will, a will that is contrary and opposed to much of what we see in the world, Peter says this, he gives us two things. He says, first, it's going to surprise some people. They're going to be taken back. They're going to be astonished because they knew your former way of life. And they know now that you've turned, that you're not following the will of the Gentiles, the will of those who don't know Christ. You're following the will of God. And a lot of what we follow is opposed to much of what the world approves. And so they're astonished at the transformation that's taking place in your life. And as a result, it says they will malign you. They will heap abuse on you. They will revile and ridicule you and the God that you worship. This is why we must be resolved and prepared to suffer. We're going to face that when we follow Jesus. People are not going to like and affirm the the life of following God. Now, let me do a quick sidebar here. Because as I read this, here's some of the questions I'm also wrestling with. Well, then, how should I interact with my neighbors my friends, my co-workers who don't follow Jesus. Let's not overreact. Let me remind you that Jesus was said to be a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus said, it's not the righteous who need a doctor, but the sick. And so it's not that we're to avoid spending time with those who don't know Christ. If we don't spend time, how are we going to be able to share the life-giving hope of the gospel? How are they going to be able to see the transformation that's in our lives? What he's talking about here is that we should avoid joining them in participating and practicing in a sinful lifestyle. But additionally, Peter implicitly warns believers to resist returning to their former way of life and renounce in their faith. man. I, I don't know what you're wrestling with today. Maybe, man, you're even wrestling with like, does Jesus even matter? Does, man, what I'm reading in the scriptures, does God even care? Don't turn. Look, this is truth. This is where life is found. Here's why Peter warns them not to uh, return. He says this, look at verse five. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Everyone will face judgment and give an account for all that they've done. This is the consistent teaching of scripture. God is the creator God. This is his world. And we're going to give an account to our creator. So think about this. To, to, to return to your former way of life, In order to gain the approval of others on this earth, think about this, it is short-lived. It's a limited perspective. As one commentator notes, soon the tables will be turned. We should not be living for the approval of man. We should be living for the approval of God. He is the one who has the last word. The wicked will be judged both for their sin and their mistreatment of you but believers will be vindicated. So resist returning to your former way of life. Additionally, as we think of the judgment of God, it's a reminder that one day God will repay every act of racism and injustice. Either Jesus pays for these, sin, these sins through his death on the cross, or people will face God's judgment. And so as a result, this is why Peter urges us not to repay evil for evil. God is the judge, and he will repay. Paul says in Romans twelve nineteen, vengeance is mine. We entrust ourselves like Jesus did in 1 Peter 2 to the faithful judge. The fourth thing we must do to leverage what's left is this. We must remember the promises of the gospel. We see this here in verse 6, where Peter says, For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. This is another difficult text, so hang in there with me as we just carefully walk through it. Let me first just ask a question here that you may be thinking. Is Peter suggesting that there will be a second chance for salvation offered to unbelievers after death? The answer is no. He's not offering here, suggesting that there's going to be a second chance for salvation. Why do I know that? Well, first of all, that, would, that teaching would clearly contradict other passages of Scripture, including what Peter's just told us here in verse 5. Look back at verse 5. He says here, they will give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. One of the motivations for enduring suffering and persecution in the entire letter of 1 Peter is that that everybody's going to give an account that God is a faithful judge. So now to to change and say, oh, there'll be a second chance of salvation would completely destroy all of his arguments that he's made. And it would be inconsistent with the clear teaching of Scripture. So if that's not the case, what is going on here? What, what does this verse mean? Well, when it says here that the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, those who are dead here refers to those who are physically dead. So then we ask, well, when was the gospel preached to them? The gospel, here's what's going on. He's saying the gospel was preached to people while they were still alive, and they believed in the gospel. But now these people are dead. And so when the gospel was preached, they were alive. Now those people are dead. And so here's what Peter's doing. He says, look back at the verse. He says, though judged in the flesh the way people are, They might live in the spirit the way God. Here's the reason the gospel was preached. Peter is addressing another objection to the gospel. And here's the objection. Unbelievers viewed the death of believers as proof that there's no advantage to becoming a Christian because all people die. And on one hand, that's true. I'm going to face death one day. There's no way that I'm going to escape physical death unless Jesus returns first but peter says they're wrong they don't see the whole picture Peter's point is that physical death is not the last word for those who believe in Jesus. The hope and promise of the gospel is eternal life, that believers will ultimately be raised from the dead to live with God forever. So looking back at the text here, when it says, though judged in the flesh, the judgment here in the flesh, the judgment in our earthly life is the judgment of physical death. It's something that we'll all face. When I trust in Jesus, he doesn't promise that I'm going to escape physical death. What he does promise is that even though I, though I face physical death, he is going to resurrect my dead body and I'm going to live with him forever. You see, the same destiny of Jesus awaits believers. We saw last week in 1 Peter 3.18, it says, For Christ also suffered Once for sins, the righteous for the righteous, that he might bring us to God. Listen to this. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And that same hope is the hope that we have in the gospel. So if you're listening today, and you haven't made a decision to believe in Jesus let me ask you this, why not today? Why not commit today to follow Jesus with your life? The gospel was preached to you today that we're all sinners, that Jesus is perfect, that he suffered and died for your sin, For my sin, he rose from the dead, that if we would believe in him, that if we would turn from a life of sin and follow him, that he would give us eternal life, that he would make us alive in the spirit the way God does, that we would live with him forever. Why not respond to that message of the gospel by repenting and turning and believing? Do it today so that death doesn't have to be the last word in your life. Commit to following Jesus and you can live with God forever. If you want to commit your life to Jesus today and believe in him, just call upon him. Cry out to him in prayer. Ask him to forgive you, to save you, to put a spirit in you and to help you to follow and run after him. And we want to know right now, I would love for you to text the word Jesus to the number on the screen. And let us know about your commitment to follow Jesus. If you're following in our church online platform, click the raise hand button right now. And then when it says, hey, request prayer, click that because we want to celebrate with you. We want to pray with you. We want to come alongside of you and see God continue his work in you. Guys, the clock is ticking. Our life is a vapor. Let's arm ourselves with the attitude and intention to suffer like Jesus as a means to help us turn from a life of sin and leverage our lives, leverage whatever's left to chase and run after the will of God. Join me as I pray. Father, God, we come to you with our burdens, with our heaviness, with our brokenness today. God, you are good and compassionate God. God, we believe you hear our prayers. God, we long to see justice reign in our world. God, I long for the day where there is no more racism. God, I long and and just pray for my other brothers and sisters and others that face all kind of injustice in the world right now. God, we pray, would you bring about your work? Would you bring your kingdom, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, would you give us a resolve to suffer like Jesus? God, help us not to live for the praise of man, for the approval of others. God, we wanna live to hear well done, good and faithful servant. God, help us to lift our eyes to you, to live to please you. We're going to give an account to you with our lives. God, help, that, help us not to fear others that would hinder us from speaking up about injustice, about racism. God, would you empower and lead us by your Spirit? God, help us to to be a church and a people that are turning from sin. God, we don't want to run after the will of the Gentiles. We want to run after your will. God, help us to be people who are doers of your word, who are more characterized not by what we don't do, but what we do. God, that's what we want. And we need your power. We need your grace. We need your help. So come, God, and do your work in and through us. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.